Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and we have a fantastic show lined up for you today. And I am having a conversation with Alan Liska. And Alan is an intelligence analyst and ransomware researcher from Recorded Future. He also helps organizations better protect themselves from ransomware. And he is also an industry leader, at least for ransomware. And he also authored the book, Ransomware, Understand, Prevent, Recover, and has been quoted in the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Wired, Reuters, Bloomberg, CNN, and more. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's how I actually read about you and found out about who you are and some of the fantastic things that you are doing in the industry around cybersecurity and uh, just keeping businesses and data more resilient. So welcome to the gumbo, Alan. How are you? I'm good, Demetrius. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, it's such a fun podcast. I'm not a fun topic, but it's a fun podcast. And uh, and frankly, I just love a good bowl of gumbo. Ah, man, it reminds me. I need to uh, go ahead and make up another batch. I like to keep some at least frozen in the in the freezer and just thaw it out and pop it in the pot nice. when I'm ready to go. <laughs> so uh, why don't you start off and give us a little information about what you do as an intelligence analyst and ransomware researcher at Recorded Future and a little bit about Recorded Future as well. Sure. Uh, so I'll start with the second question. Recorded Future is a threat intelligence company, and we provide um, information to our clients to help them stay ahead of adversaries, whether they're cyber criminals, nation states, etc. Et um, and, and as far as what I do is basically at this point, my job is to be the bummer at every party. You know, if you ever watch the old Saturday Saturday Night Live skit of Debbie Downer, <laughs> that's basically me. Um, because everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, hey, here's more bad news about ransomware. And here's more bad news about ransomware. And like in 2022, when ransomware attacks started to go down a little bit and everybody's like, well, good, we're finally getting handled this. And I'm like, no, I hate to say this, but the ransomware actors are just figuring out how to regroup and they're going to come back stronger. And then it turns out I was right. And I hate being right, but, um, you know, uh, so, you know, what I look at is I look at what threat actor groups are, um, you know, kind of getting bigger, getting smaller, what trends we're seeing in ransomware, what's going on with ransom payments, ways of initial access, uh, the types of ransomware that's happening and, and, and how it's evolving, et cetera. I communicate that not just to our clients, but I try and make that information as available as widely as possible. I want to help keep the whole internet protected as much as I can. Awesome. Awesome. Alan Downer. Well, no, not, 
not this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, we we can look at ransomware as it's this uh, it's this super horrible thing that you have bad actors out there, and it, it's an entire industry, and they are thriving just as much as a a regular organization, and they they have probably SLAs, and they have a a help desk and ransomware as a service. They I'm, literally it's a it's a complete business. Uh, operation that they are running, and so now that AI and artificial intelligence is out there, they they also have the capability to use those types of things as well. And I I'll come back to AI, but first I'll, I'll just start off with like the elephant in the room is yes, we know ransomware is out there, and what what are some of the things, or, or maybe what's the one or two simple things that people can do, organizations can do, just to at least maybe have the ability to recover from it. Because you know and I know it's going to happen one day, sooner or later. And if it's not ransomware, it's going to be some other type of uh, malicious threat or insider threat. I like the way you phrase that question. Because, you know, people are always like, oh, what's the one thing you can do to stop a ransomware attack? And there really isn't one thing you can do to stop a ransomware attack. It's multiple things. But as far as recovery, there are really two things that you need to focus on. Where is your data? And ideally, you should know that before an attack happens. Because um, ransomware attacks, you can't just worry about your organization you have to worry about every organization that has some level of your data. Uh, you know, a great example is that the uh, just two weeks ago, TM, TSMC, the, the big chip manufacturer in Taiwan, it was announced that they were hit by Lockbit. Breathless headlines, you know, biggest chip manufacturer in the world, hit by ransomware, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't TSMC. It was one of their suppliers. But the ransomware actors know that. And they know that they'll get a much bigger headline if they say they hit TSMC than they will if they hit one of their suppliers. So you have to know who has your data um, and, and what they have and what how they're securing your data. So you understand that. And then the second thing is how can you recover? Like how can you restore data um, that has been encrypted um, uh, uh, you know, when it's happened, how is that process going to work in your organization? So kind of those two things, know who has your data and know how you can recover in the event that data is either encrypted or it's leaked. Yeah. Who has your data? And so th- this not only applies to large organizations. So this, this happens to small, medium, large, even little old people like you and me. Right. Uh, it's, uh, th- there's no discrimination against uh, who will uh, actually get infected. Well, as far as uh, mobile devices and systems, and I know mobile devices may be the chances may not be as high, but it's it's all through uh, different tactics like phishing. And I'm sure everyone knows what phishing is. No, it's not using a a, a pole and a rod and reel to try to catch a trout or something. It's uh, sending an email and, and fooling you to think that it's a legit email from Amazon or the post office or, you know, someone from that perspective. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you say to those individuals who think that, yeah, you know what, it, it may or may not happen to me, but, you know, I, I think I'm pretty 
pretty good and pretty solid when it comes to, you know, being online and, and I'm not going to click on anything silly or funny or, you know, I, and I can't get it. I know this is a family friendly podcast, um, so I'll try and keep this example friend, family friendly. Sometimes. But your data is basically like an STD. Because you can't just worry about what you're doing. You have to worry about what all of your partners are doing and what all of their partners have done. So I think of the example of schools. How many schools in the last year have been hit by ransomware and all of their student data, the parents who have enrolled their students, their data is leaked. The teacher's data is leaked. Um, and, And even if the school itself isn't hit, How many third-party services serving schools have been hit that host student data, that host parent data, that host teacher data Mm -hmm. that now is is regularly available? So even if you are too smart to fall for, um, you know, a a typical phishing lure or whatever, um, that doesn't mean that somebody else who holds your data isn't it uh, isn't smart enough to fall for it. And, and I, you know, I mean, I really don't like using the smart, dumb analogy because we all have bad days. We all have things that will catch us off guard. I, I have a, a, a really good friend who almost fell for, super smart, but she almost fell for a fishing lure because it was somebody that sent her a, um, a picture of a bottle of wine that she really likes um, and it was, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready to have a party. Wish you were here. And, 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 you know, she was like, wait, this is the kind of because it's the exact kind of message that one of her friends would send her. Yeah. And so she almost replied going, oh, yeah, man, I wish I was there, too. That looks great. Before realizing, mm. wait a minute, you know, looking at some of the context clues of the picture, right. like that's definitely not any of my friends. I don't know what this is, but it's but it was, you know, for her, it was a really good attempt or. How many of those new attacks are where we've seen the, the threat actor infiltrate one of your partner organizations and insert themselves into an email chain? So uh, we see this a lot with business email compromise, right? And I know we're talking about ransomware, but similar tactic where you know you have a threat going and in a you expect a response from this company and they're like, oh hey, we have new banking details. Go ahead and send that wire transfer to this information. It's coming from the company. It's part of a thread that you were already involved in. It looks completely innocuous, and yet it is the malicious actor doing that. And I've even seen them where they'll change the phone number uh, in the signature. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm too smart to fall for that, I'll call them. You call the phone number and the email signature, and it's actually the threat actor, not the company. Yeah, it's uh, it it's a little scary out there. And what what do you say to those who may think, okay, my data is in the cloud, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, AWS has me protected, Google has me protected, or maybe even Microsoft has me protected, right? Um, like, <laughs> what what do you say to them? Because it's not necessarily true, and the onus may not be completely on the cloud provider. So what, what do you say to, to, to those individuals? Cloud companies do a really good job to the extent that they're able of protecting your data. I don't want to discount the, the investments that Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and other cloud companies um, put into security because they really do. And they really do try to go out of their way to keep, to keep their customers from doing dumb things. 
but no matter how how good the guardrails are, people still make mistakes. Take a look at what happened to um, the Western Digital iCloud earlier this year. It started with an intrusion into their cloud provider. I'm not going to name the cloud provider. And they were able to then get access to data repositories that Western Digital had stored with that cloud provider um, and and steal a bunch of, of data um, and, and hold it ransom. So your cloud, the security that your cloud provider offers is only as good as you are willing to go through and do the work to make sure that you're meeting their requirements for that security. I, I, you know, again, the, the, the common example we'll see with this is AWS does a great job of securing things, but how many open S3 buckets have we seen? Because people are like, oh, I'm just going to spin up a quick instance and because I just need to do some quick analysis and then they forget to shut it down and suddenly there's all this data exposed. That's not necessarily Amazon's fault. You know, they're letting you spring up a server. You just configured it to be insecure. Since since you 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 wrote a book on on ransomware and you obviously know quite a bit about it, what what is one thing that the average person may not know about ransomware? And this this may also come from you know your your readings every day, and I'm sure you are tapped into different sources where you get information and, and see things that the normal person may not see. So b- blow our minds real, real quick with, with maybe something that you think we don't know uh, about ransomware. I think you actually hit it at the intro to the podcast. Ransomware is not just a business. It's a whole ecosystem, right? So, you know, we talk about ransomware as a service. Um and ransomware as a service is one type of ransomware business. But the people that get the initial access, what we call the initial access brokers, that's a separate business that sprung up simply to support ransomware. Uh, you have people that sell their services as negotiators, um, as translators, because they're victims all over the world. So you need native speakers to handle the negotiation. Um, you have people that sell their services as money launderers, developers, etc. So there's this whole underlying support ecosystem of smaller businesses that support the larger ransomware business. And that is one of the things that keeps ransomware going is that, you know, Demetrius, if tomorrow you decide you want to stop doing good and you want to get into ransomware, you don't have to start from scratch. Like even if you don't want to join one of the big RAS groups, you can use stolen code. You can hire a developer that has experience creating ransomware to, 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 to tighten that code base for you. You can then go buy access into networks so you don't have to start from scratch. And you can start like in the GUI center of the network and move out to carry out your attack. And then let's say you hit somebody um, in Japan and, and you don't speak Japanese. You can hire a translator to help you with, I mean, you can use Google Translate, but they often hire negotiators because they can get more uh, uh, more accurate translators to help you with the negotiation of that victim. And then once you collect your, you know, however many Bitcoins, you can hire professional money launderers that will take that money, throw it through a couple of mixers for you, and then, you know, with a 10% cut, come back and you have good, clean money that you can then spend on, you know, Whatever it is you like to spend your money on. Gucci, Louis, Prada, Fendi, <laughs> all that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
you know, for me, it's old Star Wars toys. So, mm, okay. um, you know, we all have our, our thing. Um, <laughs> that, that is correct. Booze, cigars, wine. I mean, name, name it. And the list goes on, right? <laughs> and uh, also, I, I wanted to ask you about, so if, if we go back to before, like, cloud was a thing, uh, everyone, we, we were so into hardware. So, you know, we were installing servers, racking and stacking and uh, putting in pizza boxes and running network cables and, oh, fiber's here. So let's run some fiber cable and do cable management and all these, you know, fun things. And then all of a sudden, the thing, things started changing a little bit, which kind of opened up the world. And are you familiar with the book by Thomas Friedman, The World is Flat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where he, I just, I love that book because he he lays out the analogy that the world is flat because globally we're all connected now due to the internet. But that did one thing that actually opened us up to <laughs> ransomware even more. And then cryptocurrency, you add that in, just another way for them to get sneaky about the payments. So did did you see a a correlation between like cloud and cryptocurrency and the morph in the evolution from on-prem to cloud. Did, did you see did you see that kind of happening or see anything or predict that it was going to happen that way? I certainly didn't predict it. I, I wish I were that smart. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> I think you and I should at some point write an article uh, or a blog post or something um, based on Thomas Friedman's book, since you've also read it. Um, we'll call it The World is Flat, But Your Network Shouldn't Be. Mm. Um, and we can talk about network segmentation to help keep you safe. Yeah. Um, so I'm all for that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you're spot on. So Ransomware, when it first really started in earnest, you know, the, everybody knows the first ransomware attack was back in 1989, blah, blah, blah. That really wasn't a trend of ransomware, though. So ransomware really first started in in earnest in like 2004, 2005. Um, and like for the first 10 years, ransomware was a gift card scam, right? That's how you unencrypted your network. And, and generally it wasn't encrypting ransomware was locker ransomware and it was you had to go get um you you had to go get gift cards and you'd put in a gift card and then you'd uh, be able to get your money back fun fact all of that is blockbuster's fault because blockbuster was the first company to introduce gift cards like and they would put it at the counter so people would buy them as christmas gifts or birthday gifts for their kids so blockbuster really was the first to do gift cards instead of gift certificates and then starbucks was like oh that's a great idea so they copied it and then two dudes in the midwest were like all these companies are doing gift cards we should set up kiosks in grocery stores and buy these gift cards at a discount and then we can sell them there and so now every um, now every grocery store in the country has you know, a little gift card kiosk. And that's why when your mom or your dad get a, neat, a call from uh, the sheriff's department saying that they have to pay a fine in Apple gift cards, they know they can go to the grocery store and, and pay that. So I know that's a complete aside, but, 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 you know, so ransomware was kind of chugging along until around 2014, 15, when they figured that they could use cryptocurrency instead of gift cards for payment. 
And now suddenly that escalated. And then you saw this huge jump in 2015 and like 2016. 2016 was officially the first year of ransomware. We've now had like seven or eight years of ransomware since then. Um, you know, if you look every January, there's always some article that's like the year of ransomware. Um, um, but, but, you know, that's where we first started seeing hundreds of millions of dollars in payments because they could use cryptocurrency for it. That cryptocurrency switch was the first driver of ransomware growth. And then the second one was the ransomware as a service, where now anybody could do ransomware. All you'd have to do is, you know, pay some cash to join in. And then, um, and then you too could be a, a ransomware expert. And now you don't even need that because there's so much stolen code and there's all this, uh, you know, ecosystem out there that basically anybody who can pick up stolen code and reach out to a programmer can make their, um, you know, can make their own ransomware. Wow, you, you said '89, and and I think I was listening to an audio book or something, and it. It mentioned in some type of AIDS floppy disk or something where yep. uh, yeah, exactly. I remember so, his name, Pop. Yeah, it's the it's the Trojan Doctor virus Pop. distributed yeah. by floppy disk. And basically a guy who was I don't know what he was thinking, but he he basically went to a, a an AIDS World AIDS conference and handed all of these researchers floppy disks with this uh, you know mm-hmm. whatever program on it. And after a certain number of usage, it would automatically encrypt all of the data right. um, unless you mailed this guy a check in Brazil. And then, um, and then you would, uh, then you would get it decrypted. So that that all happened in 1989, and that's the first known example of computer-generated ransomware. Cool. Well, uh, may- maybe one more question here, and uh, let's begin to wrap up. But I am uh, really like just sitting over here, marveling at your your history and knowledge of, of ransomware. And, and may- maybe maybe real quick though, what what made you really want to get into like really going deep on, on ransomware, Alan? So it was not a matter of wanting to. It was sort of a matter of necessity. So mm-hmm. um, back in 2014, okay. I worked for FireEye, um, and I was a sales engineer. I remember yeah. FireEye. Um, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I was a sales engineer for FireEye, and um, we were, you know, Mandiant was part of FireEye at that time, and they, they, okay. they had, we mm-hmm. collectively had released the APT1 report. And so we were going to all of these clients, and we were talking about nation-state threat, nation-state threat, nation-state threat. Every single client that I had was coming back to me and saying, but I have a ransomware problem. And these were single machine ransomware. So this is the days of Locky and server and everything. They'd lock up a single machine. Nobody was paying the ransom, at least none of the companies that, that I was dealing with. They were just wiping and reinstalling. But it was a pain in the butt to have to do this six, seven, eight times a week um, because there was, you know, it was largely delivered via, via phishing email. And there were just so many of them that it was um, not getting done. So I went back to the FireEye team, you know, to like the detection team, like, hey, we need to do something about this. We have so many clients that are complaining about it. Um, and because it was only a single machine, sort of the detection people at FireEye were like, well, no, that's just nuisance malware. We don't really deal with that. I'm like, yeah, but it's a problem our clients are having. 
So some of the people on the Mandian side were dealing with the same problem, right? They they were going into incident responses and they were seeing all of this ransomware. So we all got together and we started a tiger team on how can we build detections into the platform. We built all the detections and then just handed them to the detection team. So they didn't have to do any work. They just had to implement them. And that's where I got my first kind of deep dive insight into ransomware. Well, I had a friend, Tim Gallo, who worked and still works at Symantec, who was running, who was experiencing the same thing um, on his end. They, they were all talking about Stuxnet and all of his customers were like, dude, I'm not a power plant in Iran, so I don't care about Stuxnet. I care about ransomware. So we actually got together and the first book I wrote about ransomware, I co-wrote with him. And that was for O'Reilly on, um, on, on how to... Um, you know, on, on what was going on with ransomware and kind of how to protect yourselves is a very different book than the second book I read because it was two very different times. But that was kind of how I really got my start in this, you know, kind of subfield. Um, and, and I've delved into other subfields before. It's just nobody cares about those. So I can tell you way more than you've ever wanted to know about NTP security or DNS security, but nobody cares about those. Um, okay. It's just ransomware happens to be a subfield that everybody yeah, really, yeah. really cares about. Absolutely. That's all fascinating as well. And so I, I appreciate you you sharing that and giving us some history and also some tips and uh, how we can better protect and maybe uh, have the ability to, you know, do that plan before something happens. And so we can, you know, follow the right plan and, you know, not really panic, but make sure we, we kind of follow uh, what we tested and what we practiced. And um, one thing, too, before I let you go, what, what, are you, what are you reading? What's on your nightstand? Actually, I'm reading um, Edgar Wallace's The Green Archer. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's a book from 1923. Um, uh, uh, about a, a, a ghost, an archer ghost that appears at a castle in Scotland and takes out the bad guys. <laughs> okay. my, so my favorite superhero is the Green Arrow. Oh, really? Uh, okay. And the Green Arrow is based, uh, uh, you know, everybody thinks he's based on Robin Hood, but he's based a lot on the Green Archer, um, uh, which came out about 10 years before the first Green Arrow uh, comic. Is that Mar Marvel? Uh, that's DC. DC. Right. The, okay. the Marvel right. one is um, oh hell, I can't remember who the Bone Arrow guy is in Marvel. Um, even got mm, his own TV okay. show. Um, uh, what is his name? Why am I blanking on it? He's one of the Avengers too. I feel really embarrassed. I can't remember. His oh, name. Bow and Arrow. Yeah, I've kind of given up on on, on Marvel because <laughs> when when the whole and, and Marvel was uh, the one with Thanos, right? Right. He, exactly. He took over the world, and I think that movie was about four hours long or something. I fell asleep in it. I, I was like, you know what? I'm done with Marvel because I can't follow every last one of these uh, movies and comics that they're turning into movies. I'm confused. I'm lost. There's too much going on. And I just gave up, even though I started watching, what is it? Serious and no secret invasion <laughs> with, with Samuel L. Jackson um, a few weeks ago, which uh, the first one was a little boring. And then I watched the second one. I was like, Oh, Okay. I think I'm on the third one now, so it's uh, it, it's getting better, but yeah. I have to catch up on that. I've been traveling, so I haven't been able to, so that's kind of for the next few weeks. I want to catch up on Secret okay. Invasion. So I'm glad to hear that it gets better after the first episode. 
Yeah, and and you may think different because you you seem to be a hard a hardcore fan of around you know superheroes and stuff. And so I have a short attention span, a little bit of ADD um, and ADHD. So you know I jump around a little bit and then lose interest. But <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I started Data Protection Gumbo. So if I want to talk about ransomware and and then jump to cryptocurrency and then jump to quantum computers and maybe even go back around the corner to talking about electric cars or something you know we could we can do that um but alan it's it's definitely been a pleasure having you on and uh, if you haven't picked up his book go out there and search right now it is ransomware and, and this is your latest one right ransomware understand prevent recover so any final shout out that you would like to leave for the gumbo listeners alan no, this this has been a real pleasure. Um, I've enjoyed the podcast, and um, you know, just one thing that I'll say when we talk about plan, you know, uh, 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 having a plan ahead of time, please test that plan. Always test your assumptions to make sure that what you think will happen will actually happen. Um, you really don't want to have your first test to be after a ransomware attack. I agree with you on that. <laughs> All right. So, Gumbo listeners, uh, when you have an opportunity, we do have the Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. It's one that I started back in 2008, I want to say, and there are about 25,000 cybersecurity, storage, backup and recovery professionals out there. And we have conversations just like this uh, in that group. So go check it out and join. And also, if you love listening to Data Protection Gumbo every Tuesday, please drop us a comment or even leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So, Alan, thank you again for being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo. Thank you.